0: All right, just before we get going, I just want to highlight the survey again that Ernie mentioned. Um, A couple weeks back, we preached through the internal and the external realities of the church. That we need to love one another the way that Christ sacrificially loved us. In John 13, that's Jesus says, the world will know that you belong to me if you have love for one another. So we want to love each other uh, in a way that that is seen by our community. And then we looked at the external of how can we be a part of the Great Commission in an effective way. And so as Ernie mentioned, that's kind of what the survey is after, is we're trying to figure out, first, do you feel loved by your church community? Because if you don't, then we're doing something wrong and we've got to fix that. Also on the external, are there ideas that, that you have or ministry outreach opportunities that you see that we don't? We can, as Ernie said, we can sit with you know, 10 or 12 of us and we can have all kinds of great ideas, but they're only going to be our ideas. If the church family has other ideas, we want to get on board with that. We want to be a part of that and figure out how can we bless you on your way to serving your community. And so we just encourage you to take those surveys and really spend some time with it. Don't just, you know, fill it out in two seconds, but but really sit with it. Really wrestle with it and answer as honestly as, as you're able to. And then our hope is that by October 1st that you would have those returned to us. And then Randy as, uh, and I, as the elders, will kind of wrestle through those things and present kind of those findings to the board, and then we'll start to bring that to the congregation and and see what the fall is going to hold for us. So if you can have those in by October 1st, that would be wonderful. Okay. Now, Deb is upstairs teaching Sunday school, but this is Deb's big Sunday, kickoff Sunday. She loves it. And... uh Am I allowed to say this, Randy? She orders a lot of stuff for it. And so we have all these banners and things that show up. But here's the thing is these were from a couple of years ago, and we're recycling them. And so she came to me and she went, Greg, I, I don't want to tell you what to preach on, but uh, could we talk about hope again? And so I guess that's what we're going to do. Not because Deb said so, just to be real clear, just because it was a great idea. I think hope is something that... Uh, that we all are in desperate need of, especially in today's world and in today's culture. Uh, Desmond Tutu once wrote, hope is being able to see that there is light despite all of the darkness. And I think that's a truth that really can resonate with all of us, is there are difficulties, there are challenges, there's pain, there's hurt in all of our lives. Maybe you're grieving the loss of a loved one this morning. Maybe a long-term relationship has ended. Maybe you're having physical health struggles or a battle with your mental health. I, I don't know what the specific struggles that each of you are having, but I do know that each one of us have them. There's unique challenges that all of us face. The good news is that Scripture gives us hope in the midst of that darkness. And, and Jesus doesn't say he's going to take away all of that pain, at least not yet. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he says he's going to help us endure. He's going to help us persevere. He's going to help us as we seek to get through that pain and that hurt. And one of the realities of our lives, and I'm sure that you can say this to be true as well, is some of the most difficult moments that you have gone through, when you're through them and on the other side and you look back, you can see with clarity what God has done through and and for you. Now that doesn't make it easy and sometimes we might still look back and go, "God, couldn't you have taught me a little easier?" As Ernie prays, "God, you know, be gentle with us." Well, I think God is exceedingly gentle. I just think sometimes we're stubborn enough not to listen. But Jesus has offered us hope and and in the book of John there's actually seven different statements that jesus makes and i want to read one of them and then i want to focus on a different one of them in eight john 8 12 jesus says this i am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life if you think back to the tutu statement desmond's uh, statement hope is being able to see that there is light despite all of the darkness and that light is jesus that there's hope in the midst of Of your pain, and as we sang this morning, there's a verse in John 14, and you can turn to John 14, and we're going to look at verses one to seven in just a moment. But we already sang the song: "Is I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life," and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Those three things, and it's going to probably seem like we're going on a little bit of a tangent, but we're going to bring it back to why those three things alone give us hope. But before we read it, it starts, the very first bit starts with this, let your hearts, sorry, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. I think when we read that statement, that causes us to stop a little bit and to think, what is causing my heart to feel trouble this morning? And it could be something that I've already mentioned. It could be something else that is completely in a different direction. But if we're probably honest with our own selves, we'll realize that our hearts are a lot more troubled than we care to admit. Now, this doesn't mean, and we'll explain this, but this doesn't mean that Jesus is saying, don't worry about anything. He's given you a brain to use and to exercise discernment. And there are realities that we have to face. The the issue is when our heart is troubled, to not let that trouble consume us, but to know where to direct that trouble so that we can find some clarity. Now, I've said this many times. It, it, It doesn't mean that God just removes your pain, but he helps give us a perspective about our pain that is more a reality of perspective. Sometimes in that moment when you're suffering or when you're hurt, that's all there is. At least that's what it feels like. But the truth is there's so much more, and this is one of the reasons why we're a corporate community of believers and why we're trying to learn how in John 13 to love one another more effectively. Because if you're going through hurt and pain and you don't even feel like showing up Sunday morning, because you don't want to even talk to anybody because you're just so down that's when you need your church family the most. That's when we're called to lift the brother or the sister up, to pray for and to encourage and to help. John 14, 1-7, Jesus says this, "Let Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where, you, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is probably one of the most aggressive, anti-Jewish, at least from their perspective, statements that one could make. Jesus is saying over and over in these seven verses that he and the father are one, that he is God. Again, many times people will argue and say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, go read this to a Jewish person. And They'll tell you very clearly what he's saying. But before we get to that, the first thing that Jesus says, right, is this. Believe in God, believe also in me. In a more modern translation, we might say it this way. Jesus is simply saying, trust me. Trust me. Jesus has walked with the disciples for about three years now. And they've gone through all kinds of situations, all kinds of miracles have been seen, all kinds of healings have happened, all kinds of teaching has been declared, and Jesus is saying, trust me. And here's the thing, is sometimes people push back against Christianity by saying it's just blind faith. I beg to differ because I think we have a whole huge Bible that shows us that God over and over is trustworthy. Why do you trust someone? Because they've proven themselves to be trustworthy. Jesus has not let them down. Jesus has saved them physically and emotionally many times throughout this. And now he's leading his disciples to this moment where he's saying to them, I'm I'm actually going to go now. I've prepped you. And I'm going to leave. And they're like, no, this is not good news. And and later in the chapter, Jesus will say, well, if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. And the Holy Spirit is going to come. And he's going to empower you to accomplish all kinds of amazing things in ministry so that the world would be changed. And the fact that you and I are here today is proof that that has happened. Jesus is asking for trust. Now, how often, if you think about it this way, how often do you, uh, this is maybe a risky question to ask, how often do you trust your spouse when they say, just trust me? Or do you say, hold on, I trust you, but you need to lay this plan out way better for me. I need all the details first, but I trust you. I think we're probably all guilty of that from time to time. Is this a good plan? Is this a good idea? And then the famous Lazarus, don't worry, I got it. Just trust me and you're like, "Okay." Well, God sitting here saying the same thing to us is like, "Look, I know this Jesus is literally with his disciples. I know this doesn't make sense to you. I know I'm about to leave and and you can't imagine how you're going to accomplish the tasks that I've called you to without me being right here, but trust me. I know what's best for you." You've heard me say this a hundred times, Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? For good. For those who are called according to his purpose. If you are a Christian, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, then don't think that what's happening to you in your life right now is just out of God's control. In fact, what scriptures teach us is God is using every situation in your life to accomplish his purposes. That's a hard truth to wrap our minds around. Even in pain, even in sickness, even in hurt. Well, remember what Joseph said at the end of Genesis is what what you meant, we could speak of, of Satan in this sense, what you meant for evil, God meant for what? For good. See, the most beautiful part of the gospel is that God takes what is broken and redeems it into something beautiful. That he takes your situation when you have no hope and he shows you that there is hope. That he uses you in the midst of darkness to bring light. Again, what we need to do is we need to redefine what we think is good for us. I've said it lots, but what we think is good for us, if I had more money in the bank account, that'd be good for me. If I had less physical health problems, that'd be good for me. If I had a bigger Harley Davidson, that'd be good for me. Sorry, did I point my finger there? Sorry, Ryan. (laughs) Whatever it might be, right? We look at this and we go, material blessing. We look at that and we think that means God's blessing. But isn't God's blessing a closer walk with Jesus? And don't we need to be taken to a place where we recognize that I cannot do it apart from God and that I need to trust in him? As such, what that means is when you're going through financial crisis, that's good because you're learning to trust in God because you know you can't do it on your own. I didn't say that's easy, but it is good. When we get sick with illness... And the rest of the world looks at this and goes, This is the most devastating thing that could happen. Do we look at this and say, God is trying to teach me and show me something and use me in unique ways here? That's what the scripture teaches us. So Jesus says, Trust me. But then he gives them a little bit of detail. In my father's house are many rooms. If we're not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? In other words, what Jesus is saying here is he's saying to his disciples, I'm leaving, yes but I'm going to prepare a place for you in eternity. Or we might use the phrase, Jesus is going to heaven to prepare for us our eternal dwelling. And Jesus says, and and I'm going to come back to take you with me. So this is the best news that they could have. But then there's this strange verse in four. And you know the way to where I'm going. Do they? Like, is Jesus testing them? Is he saying something true? Is he, is he leading them to ask a further question? It's a rabbit hole you could go down for a long time. But I actually think Jesus is, we should take him at his word here. You know the way to where I am going. Because where, first of all, where is Jesus going? Well, he's just said he's going to be with his father. He's going to heaven. And you know the way get there now thomas either uh, on behalf of the disciples or or him individually kind of is irrelevant but he asks the question he doesn't fully grasp or he's confused he says lord we don't know where you were going so how can we know the way well jesus has said something similar many many times where he gives the disciples some piece of information and they go what are you talking about and Jesus says, You of little faith, don't you trust me? Haven't I told you plainly? In fact, sometimes sometimes with our perspective and with hindsight here for us, we read the things the disciples say and we're like, You didn't get it? Like it seems pretty obvious. Except the problem is that only is obvious if we're in tune with what God's actually saying they're still worried that Jesus is leaving and they don't want him to leave. Where are you going? How can we know the way to where you are going? Well, it's a good question, but Jesus answers with an excellent response, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now there's some stuff we got to unpack in this statement because it's tough. Jesus is making a pretty exclusive statement here, isn't he? Right? We'll, we'll deal with I am the way, the truth, and the life in a second. But he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. There is only one way to be with God in eternity. Now again, people will argue and they will say, like, how can you make such exclusive claims about Christianity? But here's the thing is you and I are not making that claim. We're simply taking Jesus at his word. He's the one who claimed it, not me. Jesus says there's no other way. This is the only way. Well, maybe, I want to say this gently to each of us. You ever been told there's only one way and you spend the next hour proving that, oh yeah, there is in fact only one way, but I wanted to make sure. Right? Like you as a parent, you're telling your kids something, you're teaching them, this is what you got to do. And they're like, no, 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 I know better than you, parent. Let me figure out all kinds of ways and cause all kinds of stress and pain and hurt, and, right? And then, and then your kids grow up, and, and they're still your kids, and you still love them, and you still watch them make decisions where you're kind of like, no, 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 please don't do that. Like, if you do this, this is going to work so much better for you. Jesus is saying there's only one way here and and all the other ways they're going to cause you hurt and pain and heartache and confusion and frustration. And if we could say anything about our culture right now is while our culture claims to want to be more inclusive than ever, my argument would be they're only trying to be inclusive with those that agree with them. That's a different conversation for another time. But the thing is, while Jesus is making an extremely exclusive statement He's not excluding anybody from that statement. He's simply telling everyone the truth of that statement. So you can look at this and you can say, this statement applies to every single person who's ever lived. It doesn't matter their culture, their race, their gender, their sexual identity. All of those things is Jesus is saying to everyone, here's how to come and be with me and with the Father. Doesn't matter who you are or how you've lived or what you've done, is will you choose to follow after me? This is how to get to eternal life. And then the question is will we, as people, submit ourselves under that? Will we say, Jesus, you know best? What you have said is right. Or will we fight and say, I want to go to heaven, but I want to do it on my own terms? And that's happening radically in the church in North America right now. And I only speak of North America because that's kind of where we sit. But there are major denominations in Canada right now that have taken out Scripture from one of their main points on their doctrinal statement. Because Scripture is too controversial. It makes exclusive claims. And in our world, that doesn't float, doesn't fly. But the point is not to make everybody happy. The point is to show everyone who Jesus is. I think sometimes we get happiness and holiness confused and we think that if we were happy, it would all go well. But any good parent knows, and if you're a parent, you know this, if you just give your children everything they want, what happens? They don't get happy. They don't learn to be content. They learn the opposite of that. We become entitled and we think we deserve everything. Jesus says, I am the way. What's the way? Well, I am the only way to find the Father because it's through Jesus' death on the cross, through his resurrection, that our sin is paid for and that eternity is open for us. There's no other way. And all of Scripture leads to Jesus and is about Jesus. And then after Jesus uh, ascends and goes into heaven, the rest of the New Testament is about learning how to submit our lives under that. If there was another way, do you think that the thousands of uh, pages of Scripture would tell us? Instead of saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the way. We follow him. We follow his example. When he says love God and love people, we love God and we love people. When he says submit to the truths, we talked about this last week, the truths that I have spoken to you in the great commission where he says, teach them to observe how much that he has commanded. Part of it? All of it. Teach them to observe everything that I have commanded. That's the way. The truth. Well, here's... Here's a rough one in today's culture as well. you ever heard, no, I know you've heard, have you ever noticed when people talk about speaking their truth? When did truth become subjective? When did it become a personal reality and not just fact? Our culture, in fact, now celebrates people when they're brave enough to share their truth. But here's the thing is there's only one truth and it's Jesus. We can try and twist truth to be more inclusive. We can try and twist truth to support what I want to do and how I want to live. But we're not taking what's true. We're twisting what's true into be something that isn't. Here's another argument against Christianity. They'll say often is... Uh, There is no absolute truth, but truth cannot be absolute. It has to be relative. And I remember sitting in Bible college when one of my professors, super nerdy guy, super good guy, but super nerdy and gets into these like, okay, if you're going to have this argument, let's be consistent with this argument. And he sat there and he pointed this out to me is when somebody tells you there is no absolute truth, what are they doing? Making an absolute statement. How does that work? So if I say there is absolute truth, you can disagree with that, but you can't tell me, no, there is no absolute truth using my logic to prove your point. It doesn't work. And so you can disagree and you can argue and you can think there's another way, but if somebody goes, there can't be truth. Truth is relative. Well, we can't make that claim. It doesn't even make sense and it doesn't follow any kind of logic. Jesus says, I am the truth. So, I guess the implication to us is pretty simple. Is what should we do? We should read the words of Jesus. Find what it means to live a life that is about truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That one's very simple. Is there's actually only one way to life. In Matthew, Jesus says it this way if you want to find your life, what do you have to do? You've got to lose it. Because it's not about you, it's about Him. And when you run after all the things that you want, and our culture is going to learn this really difficultly again, is if you get everything that you want, you will not find satisfaction. You will not find life that you think all of a sudden you've arrived at some kind of nirvana. You'll find, well, what was it, Pascal Blaise, I think, who said right? There's a hole in your heart and nothing, nothing except God can fill that is you can try and fill it with anything you want. But there's only one thing that can fill that. And our culture right now is trying, right, with extreme individualism, trying to be like, man, your unique person is so unique, and if you live that unique truth, then you will find satisfaction and joy. But what we're seeing in culture is the exact opposite, isn't it? We're not finding long-term life. What we're finding is anger, frustration, hurt. Jesus alone will bring us life. But if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then we have to submit to all of those things. So back to the question, how does this give us hope? How do these truths about the way, the truth, and the life, how does it give us hope? In the midst of your grief, your loneliness, addiction, your mental health issues, your physical health issues, how does this give us hope? I think it gives us hope in two very specific places. One, because this means the truth that Jesus says to us here is that he walks with us through all of it. So you may feel alone this morning, but the truth of it is, is you're not alone. You may feel no one understands you, but the truth of it is that there is one who understands you because he has created you. He knows everything about you. And he is at work in you. As we said, Romans 8.28, God is working for our good. And so that means that the situations that we face right now, we don't have to look at them with anger and hurt, but we can submit our hearts to God in that and say, God, what are you trying to teach me and show me? You know, one of the most beautiful and best things that we can learn is how much we need to rely on the church. And nobody likes to admit when they have need. Nobody likes to admit when they have hurt. But when we admit that we have need, we allow other people into that need to help meet need. That works corporately for all of us. But if we just don't talk about them, we just don't say them, and we, ah, I, 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 nobody wants to know about this hurt that I have or this issue that I'm struggling with, well, then how are you going to wrestle your way through it? We need the church. We need corporate help to find accomplishment in finding health. The second thing that I think is really good news in this that gives us hope While we're going through the problems that we are, and we might not find complete freedom from those things right now, we are promised that one day we will. Revelation 21 four says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life reminds us that we're not meant for this earth, but we're meant for another with him. And that as we wrestle through the difficulties of our life, we know that they will at some point come to an end and we will no longer have pain and grief and hurt. So we focus on that. If this world is all there is, That's a depressing thought. But if there's eternity with God where there is no pain, no hurt, no grief, no tears, then are the pains and the griefs and the hurts that we're having right now, will they be worth it in the end? Well, Apostle Paul says we won't even compare those things with eternity that's coming. So sometimes it might seem like, well, what hope does the Bible give us? Because all it tells us is how to live. Well, Actually, what it does is it tells us what's the best way to live. It teaches us where we will find hope, where we, where we will find purpose and meaning. And when we live in that, then we can go from here back home to our families, to our friends, to our coworkers, and we can have joy amidst hurt and pain because even though there's darkness all around us, there is hope and there is light. And we can have a different perspective than the world and as we have a different perspective than the world, they can look at us and they can ask, how in the midst of that pain and that hurt can you still have hope? And we can say, let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus is the answer to all of those problems. Not all of those problems go away right now but they will one day. So whatever you're facing this morning, whether you're feeling lonely, confused, hurt, grieving, whatever the struggle is that you're facing this morning, remember that God walks with you through it, that you have a church family that will love and support you in the midst of that, and that one day those things will be gone and you won't even bother comparing them to eternity. Let's pray. God, as we consider these truths, as we kind of meditate on the fact that Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him, may we really consider perhaps that you do know best. And perhaps you have given us a way to live because it will bring us joy and contentment. And perhaps us fighting that and trying to prove that we can find it with our own wisdom, it doesn't lead where we think it does. So God, may we submit to you in these things. May we recognize that you alone are the author of truth. That Jesus alone is the way to the Father. And that eternal life comes alone through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. May each of us wrestle with those truths and seek to follow after you because only in you will we find the hope that we seek. So God, for whatever anyone is going through here this morning, whatever the hurt that they're struggling with, May they know that you walk with them, that they have a church that will support them, and that one day you will wipe all those tears away and we will be with you in eternity. What a beautiful truth. Amen. Just a reminder, we do have food here, and I really hope that those who just walked out were going to prepare the food. They just weren't angry with me, but we'll find that out later. Let me, I forgot, let me pray for the food. What we're gonna do is uh, we're gonna open up the curtain here and you can just get in line and go through the salads and the desserts first if that's how you roll. And uh, the meat will be provided and there's no rush to get out of here. We're just gonna spend the afternoon celebrating, eating together. If you're visiting, uh, we'd love for you to join us. We'd love to chat with you and and learn about you. So let me just pray real quick for the food and then we'll be dismissed. Uh, God, thank you for...